This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Chip Chat, where we're joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello. 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 Do you, do you remember, you guys remember that Seinfeld episode where Jerry's obsessed yeah. with saying hello? Remember that Seinfeld episode? You know, I do I, remember it. And, and he, uh, he dumps his girlfriend well, over it. Yeah, his girlfriend gives him an ultimatum. It's either her or the hello. And he chooses the hello. <laughs> Good for him. That was probably the right call. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. Um, you know. Any anybody who loves you will let you say corny stuff like hello. All right, enough of that. Um, lots of coup stuff in the news. Coup talk in the news. First, some good coup news. Uh, Evo Morales has returned to Bolivia. Of course, the uh, as we mentioned uh, on a newscast earlier this week, the New York Times uh, reported on Evo's return to Bolivia by uh, by saying that Morales returned to the country on Monday a year after his failed attempt to keep power tore the nation apart and sent him into exile. Uh, that is certainly one way to describe running in an election, winning the election, and being removed by the military. I mean, I suppose running for re-election and being deposed is in fact a failed attempt to keep power. Um, <laughs> not probably the best words to to choose in that situation, but uh, maybe someone's really angry about this on the New York Times Slack chat that I hear so much about, or maybe their concerns don't actually extend to the paper's terrible coverage of U.S. imperialism. I mm-hmm. guess we will only know if New York Magazine chooses to write about that. <laughs> well, um, Chip, I noticed you commented on the events playing out right now in the United States where we have the Trump campaign contesting the election results, launching numerous lawsuits, unrolling a media operation around it, top Republicans uh, getting behind it, challenging those results the secretary of state mike pompeo now claiming that uh he's not worried about a transition to a biden administration because there's going to be a transition to a second trump administration you tried to connect these events happening in the u.s to how the u.s normally carries out business in foreign countries when it's involved in doing coups you want to elaborate on that Sure. So what I pointed out was that uh, the situation we see in the U.S., that all of the media, is even Fox News, except for the pundits, are fairly united in, in being sort of a uh, undemocratic medical power grab, is fairly similar to what all of the media went along with in Bolivia. We saw a quick count of results in Bolivia that showed with uh, much of the results in Morales getting a plurality of the vote, Evo Morales getting a plurality of the vote, but not enough to overcome a runoff. Uh, After the full results came in, the remaining areas were rural areas where Morales was very popular. 
Uh, he was then over the threshold for a runoff, which is what the polls had shown would happen. But the OAS and all these people were like, oh, how did that happen? Uh, this must be fraud. And then the military removed him. They didn't allow him to serve out it the remainder of his term. They didn't even allow him to stand another election. He had to flee for asylum in Argentina. And that's pretty much the situation in like Pennsylvania where like the early results were from Trump areas. Everyone knew the early results were from Trump areas and would show Trump winning uh, or, or same day voting where Trump was um, more likely to do better than in like mail-in voting in like Philadelphia. And, you know, even though we all knew that was going to happen, I was still panicking on Tuesday night. And then they come back with sort of the same claim. Um, you know, oh, oh, how could the results have changed this much? How could it have flipped? I mean, the inverse is true. How then could Florida, Texas, and Ohio flip from Biden to Trump? Uh, same phenomena. They just counted the uh, mail-in votes before the same-day votes. Um, but Trump doesn't seem puzzled by those flippings uh, for some reason. And it, just, it very much mirrors what happened in Bolivia. The only difference was that the New York Times, you know, went along with what happened in, in Bolivia. Whereas here in this country, most of the media is pretty united in the idea that Trump is engaged in some sort of unprecedented act of tyranny. Will they apply that standard to Marco Rubio, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, and pretty much the entire Republican Senate that is going along with it, probably not since they have, you know, John Kasich and people like that on telling Biden he needs to like find common ground with the Republicans who are trying to stage a coup and calling his election sort of illegitimate. But it, it, it isn't it isn't surprising. I mean, it is sort of notable, you know, not just with Bolivia, but with, you know, you know, Mike Pompeo is secretary of state and has been involved in trying to topple the government of Venezuela. Mike Pompeo was head of the CIA, an agency that is quite frankly best known for toppling governments. They're certainly not known for intelligence, which they have uh, very little of. Um, and, and you know, it, 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 it makes me think of the fact that during Watergate, at least one of the plumbers, maybe only one of them, uh, E. Howard Hunt, had worked for the CIA, but you know, even more significant to me what was going on with Watergate, the quote-unquote black bag jobs, the quote-unquote uh, illegal wiretaps. Those were all tactics that the FBI had used under both administrations uh, against communists, against the Black Panther Party, you know, and they always would cite sort of inherent executive authority. Uh, fascinatingly enough, the man who was deep throat, Mark Felt, uh, took part in a number of these operations. He is one of the only FBI agents ever charged with violating someone's civil rights, I believe was for a black bag job against someone who was thought to know someone from the Weather Underground. And Nixon actually testifies in his defense at his trial uh, that, you know, these sorts of break-ins and wiretaps were just standard, standard procedure. And, and there was, uh, you know, was the norm within the FBI to claim that warrantless wiretapping, breaking into someone's house or business or, or office, you know, those were all justified by quote unquote inherent executive authority. 
Uh, Nixon does it to the Democratic Party and, and, and Daniel Ellsberg, and that's a bridge too far. But I mean, we tolerate a lot of this behavior. And then when it comes, you know, home, the FBI was home, but you know, it's, it's done to a uh, major Democratic candidate. We're quite shocked by it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be shocked by it. I, I think the attempt to steal the election from Joseph Biden, not someone I terribly like, uh, is really very shocking and really troubling. But I, I'm maybe we should be a or discerning when Mike Pompeo tells us there's fraud in some Latin American country that we we don't. Yeah, like. I mean that's that's the funny thing about this is during his press conference on Tuesday, he is condemning Venezuela and Nicaragua for not holding free and fair elections, and then just minutes later, he's talking about the need to make sure that every legal vote is counted in the U.S. and that illegal votes are not counted, which assumes that the sure. results that are in states like Pennsylvania, where 99% of votes have been counted, and Arizona and Michigan, that there are illegal votes that have been counted, that there are, quote, election irregularities, which is a term that you often see applied in places like Bolivia and Venezuela and elsewhere. But you don't hear Pompeo coming out and directly saying it, although it's all in between the lines, but I guess he can't say it because it would undermine everything he's said over the last few years. And here's a fun fact about Venezuela's elections. The U.S. is sanctioning the moderate members of the opposition. I don't mean moderate, like moderate rebels in Syria. I mean like actual people who are opposed to Maduro but aren't like weird CIA-sponsored fascists. Like, the U.S. actually sanctions the moderate opposition in Venezuela because they want to participate in the elections, right? So if you are a right-winger in Venezuela, you hate the Bolivarian revolution, you want to get rid of them, and you think you have a chance at beating them in an election, which maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know, the U.S. sanctions you for, for running in the election, which is sort of, you know, mind-boggling if you think about it. But, uh... That is the world in which we live, you know, and I, I, I do I do I do find it just sort of I, I don't really know if this is going to be successful or not. I, I can't actually decide whether or not this is even intended to be successful or not, or just give the Republicans something to whine about for four years so they can once again pretend to be the victim, once again, pretend to be aggrieved and just sort of, you know, pretend like they don't have to do anything with the Biden administration, which they weren't going to do either way, but this gives them like a, a fake mythology and maybe Trump can emerge in 2024 and try to reclaim his stolen uh, election or, or, or whatnot. But um, I don't know. I just, I just hope we apply. I know we're not going to, I just hope we apply the same standards we're applying to Donald Trump to Marco Rubio. Well, do you see there being a uh, an unintended benefit of the country being this divided and uh, that maybe we will be less likely to entangle ourselves in uh, foreign adventures and coups with the country not so united? I mean, the country has always been fairly united when you poll them about our overseas military adventures. They don't like That's them. true. And the political class has always been pretty united and that we need more of them. Um, so the division on this one has always been like the entire American population 
and then the U.S. Congress, the CIA, and the New York Times on the other side. I don't imagine there being. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure if Trump wanted to bomb Syria tomorrow. Uh, Fareed Zakhar will come on and say this is the day that Trump became president after he lost being president, you know, being a, a vote stealer. Yeah. I mean, the, the, <laughs> there was at one point, uh, and it was a different time period because it was after 9-11, uh, but the, that invading Iraq and attacking Iraq was a popular position. And uh, during the Cold War, it was you know, uh, our intervention in Vietnam was relatively popular. So I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> maybe with so much so much mutual distrust. With, sorry, what was that? The thing about Iraq, though, is that you have to go back and look at the polls and the run-up to the Iraq war. Many of them ask three questions. Do you unconditionally, not this language, but basically this language, do you unconditionally oppose invading Iraq? Do you, like, support invading Iraq and like do you support invading Iraq but only with UN approval and what most of the retroactive poll poll manipulation has done is take the number of people who supported Iraq invading Iraq without with or without UN approval and those who only supported invading Iraq with UN approval and sort of you know mushing them together but even by 2006 not only is the war in Iraq deeply unpopular, so is the war in Afghanistan. I remember like in 2006 seeing the numbers about like Afghanistan, which you were always told was the good and the popular war. And of course, after 9-11, George Bush had 90% um, 90% approval rating. But like the opinion on the war sours very quickly. I, I don't know what the opinions on, on Vietnam looks like year by year. Um, I would have to go back and look at them. But I would not assume that any of our wars were broadly popular. I think that's in the well, Sure, but I mean, it is, I, I wouldn't say broadly popular, but popular enough at the start of them that they can spend the political capital uh, to start them, even if they're based on lies like that classic uh, World War One lie of we'll be home by Christmas, you know. Um, but I guess, I, I don't know, I guess uh, the point is I see an upshot to uh, our ruling class being bitterly divided. And, uh, you know, maybe we, I, I always thought when Democrats come back to power, um, that's it. They're going to try to start shit with Russia, unless it was Bernie Sanders, who is the president or something. I don't I don't see a, a Biden administration being uh, being chest thumping, even if it wants to be in part because of the domestic situation. I mean, Biden has on his website, he wants to end the forever war. Also, he wants to keep troops in Afghanistan. I don't I don't know what a Biden administration will do on foreign policy. <laughs> It, it seems pretty clear to me that Trump, Obama, both had sort of bellicose foreign policy ambitions, but were continuously more and more restrained. Uh, Obama didn't go into Syria to the extent many of his advisors wanted him to. He pursues a detente with Iran, with Cuba. He doesn't send lethal aid to Ukraine. Trump does. 
Of course, Obama escalates the drone wars. Trump escalates the drone wars. Trump escalates the regime change operations against Iran and Venezuela. So I don't know. There is this sort of, I think, practical limitations on what U.S. foreign policy can and cannot do in this moment. I don't think anyone is going to sign off on like a ground invasion of Syria. Maybe they will. Maybe maybe a year from now I will be like, whoops, that was a bad prediction. Um, what what do you think, Chuck, but, what do you think, and this, you know, you obviously uh, aren't the spokesperson of the U.S. left or the socialist left in the U.S., but what, how should socialists sort of approach what's going on? And obviously the chances of this coup actually working are slim, but I can see a scenario in which they do work, in which the Supreme Court throws this all into chaos here. I mean, I'm old enough to remember 2000 and and the circumstances are a lot more difficult for Trump now than they were for Bush in 2000 for a variety of reasons. But here we have Joe Biden, who obviously is a, a capitalist to the highest degree, no friend of socialists, ran a campaign against socialism, essentially, uh, going up against Donald Trump, who uh, you know wants to put the left on enemies lists. And uh, we've seen uh, how repressive his administration can be toward uh, leftist organizing and protesting. And we have what could be a constitutional crisis between these two entities shaping up. I know that, you know, if you log on to, to Twitter, there's a lot of talk from leftists about let's not get distracted by liberal bullshit as as though this is all just sort of concerns about Trump is generally liberal bullshit. What, what's your what are your thoughts on on the on the events underway right now and how socialists could uh, organize around them or react to them or whatever? What, what's your what's your take here? I feel like there's a lot of different threads there and there's different people who come at this from different perspectives. I have like actual died in the wool leftists in my Twitter mentions right now claiming Biden stole the election. And I think these people are just brain. Um, I thought they were right wingers. and then why, all their do you, other posts why do you follow about, Amy Therese? <laughs> I don't follow Amy Therese, but because of the tweet that we're talking about where I'm like, oh, we didn't believe I have all these people being like, actually, it's Biden who's the coomonger. I'm like, oh, look, it's a MAGA person. And then I look at their other tweets and it's like, you know, I don't even know what. And it's just like, where do you come from? And like people like that, I think are brain dead um, and not worth engaging People who are concerned about getting sucked into liberal bullshit, that's a concern that I broadly sympathize with because, you know, I remember the Bush years and Trump was not an aberration. At, at the same time, I think that people respond to the myopia of the liberals where Trump is this unprecedented monstrous tyrant never before in the history of the u.s have racist been elected to public office i wish you know ronald reagan was here to stand up to putin like those types of people they are full of bullshit and they're very myopic uh but other people including people i deeply respect and whose concerns i would say i share broadly i think can sometimes respond to myopia with myopia um 
don't do that, I guess, would be my, my advice. Look, I, I will just say this. As I have said several times, not to pull rank on anyone, during the 2008 Democratic primary, I supported Dennis Kucinich for president. I voted for Ralph Nader in that election. I strongly disliked Joe Biden. I remember watching Mike Gravel on TV uh, with that clip that's now very popular on the Twitter. I remember watching that actually happen. And Gravel, good point, but I'm still on Team Dennis. Uh, and I was livid when Obama picked uh, Biden as his VP, and I had a theory about why he did so at the time. So I am a longtime Joseph Biden disliker. I am a late. I was elated with the fact on Saturday, not so much that Joseph Biden had won, but that Donald Trump had lost. Right? If you had told me ten years ago that you know we'd have a race between Joe Biden and a racist reality TV star, I would first of all let's just not believe it. But that like thousands of people would pour into the streets of D.C. honking their horns, celebrating a Joseph Biden victory, and instead of scolding them, I would go out and join them? I, I would not have believed it. And yet here I am, very thankful that somebody who I have a very strident 15-year uh, record of, of politically opposing has, I guess, I won't say I'm happy he won, I'm happy he didn't lose, uh, an election, and I, I think that you know that informs where I want to go from this. There's Trump a there's a piece of news that uh, just broke that yeah. speaks to uh, the the whole coup attempt process or whatever you want to call it. Good news or bad news? Well, it's it's bad news, but it's also just kind of funny and pathetic, which speaks mm -hmm. to how just just how this whole thing is going. Um, basically, you know how every February the executive branch puts out a budget? Well, get, guess who is still preparing for a budget <laughs> this February? The executive branch. Yeah. According to the Washington Post, quote, the White House Budget Office has instructed federal agencies to continue preparing the administration's budget proposal for the next fiscal years, uh, for the next fiscal year, excuse me. Two administration officials involved in the new budget process said it was highly unusual for the White House to not adjust its budget planning based on the results of the election. They're pretending nothing happened, one government official involved in the federal budget process said. We're all supposed to pretend this is normal and do all this work while we know we're just going to have to throw it away. <laughs> they're not going to let any of these dipshits go out and search for new jobs because they're going to keep them during this uh, lame duck session working as though they're going to still have their job, which... Fine by me. I, I don't even know what to say to this. Like, once again, I cannot tell if this is just a, a, a show where Trump cannot concede defeat and the Republicans are going to use this to have like four years of the stolen elections, the stolen election, the stolen election. Or this is really a serious coup attempt. Uh, if it is a serious coup attempt, how likely is it to succeed? I, I, I kind of feel like not very likely, but I kind of thought Trump winning wasn't very likely. Although if you saw my election prediction map online, I got most of the states right this time. Um, I think it can be, I think no it can be uh, all of the that. above in a way. And judging by the way people like Lindsey Graham have been talking, and Graham has been pretty supportive of the administration's efforts so far, uh, in, in contesting this election, 
the way he's been talking about how we need to stop mail-in balloting in future elections or else Republicans won't win the presidency ever again, there's there's at least a strategy here. Whether or not they can successfully keep Trump in power, they can at least throw enough doubt about the reliability of mail-in ballots to prevent them in future elections. So, you know, aim high, and if you if you miss low, that's fine too. Yeah, and, you know, Lindsey Graham gets a lot of free passes from the media, as is Marco Rubio. I guess Ted Cruz doesn't really get free passes because people think he looks like the Zodiac Killer or something. And he um, watches porn on Twitter, I, which is just weird. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, just, I, just, I just wish that, like, you know, the media would apply the same standards of Trump to the rest of the Republican Party. I mean, Trump is the Republican Party. I mean, it, it is sort of weird because there's all these debates about like, you know, is the media being, you know, biased against Trump? And they're really sort of weird to, to think about because like, you remember how the media was, was during the Bush years. They were completely and totally deferential to him, to Obama too. During the 2004 election, they gave way too much credence to the with vote for veterans carry stuff, which was just one of the more eyes you And with Trump, they like actually started doing real journalism on like three issues, like you know, election suppression, COVID, and Russia, maybe something else. Like, no, Russia is not real journalism. Well, I mean, Sam, they were focused on it. Is well. what I'm saying. They they. Devoted lots of resources to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like they're really, but like, on the other hand, they're really critical of Trump's Korea policy, and I think that's abhorrent, right? But like on like three like bad things about Trump, like it used to be in the media, if you said someone was lying or something's just objectively not true, that was considered a partisan statement. So they are sort of treating Trump the way they should have treated all of the other presidents. But, like, why are they doing this? Is it because they just feel Trump is an existential threat to them? But then if they're biased against Trump, means they're going to do real journalism? I, I, I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird situation to ponder. I'm, I'm sort of glad that the media is not giving Trump a, a free pass here. Um, but when you hear things like, oh, if Joe Biden, the media is going to go back to having a normal relationship with the president. It's just like, great. Thanks. Well, Chip... Thanks again for uh, doing another edition of Chip Chat with us. I forget, we haven't talked about snacks in a while, and I don't want to get too much into it, but I've been eating a certain chip for the last few weeks that it's my favorite chip. I know SK gets uh, nervous, rightfully, when I start dropping brand names on the show, so I won't do that. It it rhymes with um, Lape Laud brand chips. Uh, (laughs) They're just so goddamn crunchy and good. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Uh, if anybody's looking for a real crunchy chip out there, that's where it's at. Well, sometimes you pay a little more and you get yeah, a little they, more. They, yeah, it's not the cheapest chip on the aisle, but uh, the the crunch. I just can't get enough of the crunch. What can I say? Chip Gibbons? Uh, really enjoying pistachios recently along with Kalamata olives. Ooh. Not at the same time, though. I bought the olives for this pasta I was cooking that has like uh, like... A bell pepper, some kale, some feta cheese, and, and I just started some sun-dried tomatoes, and I just started eating eating the olives, and now I'm mm. addicted. Well, 
I've never been an Olive fan. Uh, I've tried and uh, still can't get into them. Maybe, maybe, maybe next year I'll get into Olive's. Maybe New Year's resolution. Yeah. Olives are great. A great uh, amuse-bouche for a pre-meal thing. <laughs> Chip Gibbons, journalist, also the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent, though he speaks only on his own behalf when he appears on Chip Chat. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for still having me on.